What makes OG Ananobi such a special defender? That question and more will be answered today by Locked On Raptors host Sean Woodley. Before we get into what exactly Toronto is getting in RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, that next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and this episode is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code all lowercase LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. And I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day because we are now available on all platforms, and that includes, and you know this, you see my smiling face on a day-to-day basis. It's been a lot of smiles since the Knicks got OG Ananobi. We're on YouTube, so be sure to uh, subscribe and hit a notifications bell so you never miss an episode on YouTube. And then be sure to do the same on your audio podcast platform of choice. And then please, please, please leave a five-star review. Think about it as five stars for the OG Ananobi experience, which we are going to get into right now with Sean Woodley here on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, the man, the myth, the legend. Now I can finally say it, Sean. My favorite Canadian is on the podcast, Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors. Um, if, if, if you don't get that reference, he, he famously gave me crap uh, for calling my favorite Canadian when R.J. Barrett was on the team. And maybe it was just a little bit of truth sneaking out that shouldn't have gotten out. But now I can I can, I can, can embrace the hate. No, I, I love R.J. Uh, but, Sean, welcome to the show. You can guess. Well, we're going to talk about OG and Nanobi. Um, I, I guess the only place to start. You know what, Sean? Let me let me start here. Are 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 you happy? Let let let's just start with that. That feels like a perfect place to start here, Gavin. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think I'm happy. I think this was a deal that the Raptors just kind of had to make, considering the sort of corner they've painted themselves into as a franchise, the sort of rumblings that it seemed like OG Ananobi was intimating that he was not going to return if he were to hit free agency in the offseason. You know, the Raptors got a lot of things to juggle, and if my sort of thinking on this season was they have to decide before the deadline, are they going forward with one of OG or Pascal? And if they move one of them, that's enough for me to be like, okay, we've indicated the direction. They might still move Pascal, but I do think one trade of the two was probably necessary just to kind of kickstart this thing. And my thinking over the last month or so had grown to be that OG hadn't quite shown the offensive leap that I think was going to be necessary for the Raptors to justify paying him long term. And he just... It just felt like he was also going to net the most back in return, considering the market, considering what he makes, um, considering that he's just an easier player to fit into most teams than Pascal Siakam is. And so I'd come around over the last little while to thinking, okay, if OG's the guy, he feels like the best avenue to getting whatever that might take to go and get the guard that this team desperately needs. I didn't necessarily think they were just going to get that guard straight away. I thought it was maybe a get some stuff to then parlay later type of thing, but they got Emmanuel quickly and I'm thrilled. I like... Back in the summer, I was pitching Emmanuel quickly as a guy the Raptors should be targeting on the podcast. So uh, I feel vindicated. I feel like I talked this one into existence. So, yes, I'm extremely happy. And the R.J. Barrett inclusion is a pretty fun thing to boot. What about you? Yeah. Are, are, are you like I know Knicks fans were kind of like mixed on this, right? Of They love quickly. Yeah. Some love Barrett, some don't, and you know, I, I you know, I, it seemed like it was kind of a mixed reaction out of New York. What are where are you at with this? Are you happy with the deal as well? 
I I'm definitely happier after watching game one and a, and a big one over <laughs> the Minnesota Timberwolves that that like eased a whole a whole lot of concerns. Um, but it, I I think the the fear there from some Knicks fans and and certainly myself is that Emmanuel quickly could ultimately end up being the best player in this mm-hmm. trade, and it's painful to lose that. But I think that version of quickly could never have existed on the Knicks, and and certainly not the Tom Thibodeau New York Knicks. And I I think that that's kind of what I kept coming back to is that you can you can hypothesize as much as you want you could talk about how good the lineups were with quickly and brunson together and um it it just it was never going to be reality those two were going to be starting and playing i don't know like 28 minutes a game on the court together like tom Mm -hmm. thibodeau just never saw quickly that way and you know what he he might have been right in terms of those statistics that were incredible i mean the main lineup they were used in this year plus 33 net rating um might not have translated to the playoffs. They did last year, but over a relatively small sample size. And Quickly's play in the regular season hasn't yet translated to the playoffs, which we can get into a little bit later in the show. While OG, like, again, the ceiling might not be there, but it's it's very obvious what he brings to this team. The accessibility of his skill set for the Knicks is incredibly easy and, and was incredibly fluid, as they kept pointing out on the broadcast yesterday in a 48-hour whirlwind where his head should have been spinning and he had every reason to go out there and shoot like two for 12 or something and his defense could have been 15 percent worse than it normally was instead he's making every three he's cutting to the basket for three dunks and he's, he's locking up Anthony Edwards down the stretch of this game until he uh fouled out in, in sort of a bs fashion with four <laughs> minutes left so I'm gonna say yeah I'm, I'm I'm happy with this trade it is it is distinctly sad to lose Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett but I'm I'm still very happy with this trade. I guess that that's kind of where I wanted to start in terms of talking to you about OG. Like, what did what did he mean to this Raptors organization? Like, what did you like? What was your feel for him just as a human being? Because I I think almost before anything else with RJ and IQ, it, it's just what the Knicks lose from a cultural perspective with those two guys, and and the fact that the Knicks have had so few great homegrown talents, and those sure. are two guys who who wanted to be in New York and did just an immense amount of work to bring the Knicks back to respectability. And I feel like OG maybe has a similar meaning to Raptors fans. Yeah, definitely. Like if I'm sad about this trade, it's, you know, a losing uh, like an all world wing defender in OG and OB, obviously, but I think even more so it's just, he's a really fun and cool dude to root for. Like he is a very unique sort of unicorn type player in the way he can defend one through five. He's one of maybe five players alive who can actually credibly claim to be able to do that and off the court and just sort of you know working within the 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 dynamics of the team he's just like a really funny dude he has been part of a lot of really hilarious like off-court moments Uh, you know people have probably seen the Serge Ibaka OG Ananobi scarves debate Um, you know that's I think a kind of a window into this dude's a really cerebral guy he's not going to play the media game necessarily which i loved about him like you ask him a like a pretty bad straight out question he's going to give you the most basic like right to the point answer you could possibly ask for in five or fewer words and you're gonna have to figure out how to ask better questions i just i kind of love that i love that he kind of took the piss out of the whole media thing that that you know we kind of do every day the sort of cycle of you know shoot around and pre-game availability and post-game availability and stuff like that it was just kind of fun and yeah like just like a really cool player to have on your basketball team because you know he's giving you 
like he's not taking anything away, right? There are some times where he'll have these offensive dalliances that don't work all that well. Sure, that's fine. And, you know, maybe he can iron some of that out in New York with a little bit more room to operate. We'll see. But as far as what he does when he's on the floor, he was just like always a positively impactful player, right? His defense always held up outside of the last month or so where it really fell off a cliff. And I maybe think there was maybe some quiet quitting going on there. It seemed like everyone kind of knew this was coming. Um, so I wouldn't expect that's going to maintain. Um, you know, I think he'll kind of get back to his close to all defense level at the very least going into New York. And uh, the fact that he was always just there kind of knocking down threes and finishing plays with loud dunks, like just a really exciting, easy to root for type of guy that Raptors fans are certainly going to miss. He was a big part of a lot of what the Raptors did well over the last seven years. And it's a shame that he they couldn't figure out a way to work it out. But I do think, like I said, this feels like a win-win trade. And we don't get to really bask in that all that often when it comes to nba trades it feels like there's always this urge to be like ah this team won and this team got fleeced and ah i can't believe this team would do that this kind of just feels like a deal that makes sense for both teams the raptors get a little more depth they get a couple of you know skills um in the players they bring in that they didn't have on the roster before and they move on from a sort of big contractual headache that was hanging over them while the knicks get a guy who fits perfectly within the context of a jalen brunson and julius randall led basketball team win-win trades baby it's the way of the future <laughs> <laughs> they rarely, rarely happen. And, and who knows, like we look back on this in a few years, whether we both feel that way. But right now, I'm, I'm going to bask in the happiness for another minute or so as, as we step aside and then come back and talk about what makes OG Ananobi such a special defender, assessing his play this season before diving deep on RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. Their debuts in a big win in Toronto and how they'll impact the Raptors going forward. But before we do all that, I got to tell you about our buddies over at Prize Picks. So at home, even in Canada, you might be asking, what is Prize Picks? Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports DFS platform in North America. We are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Sean, you haven't had the benefit of hearing my whole rant on this, but I know there are those dudes out there playing DFS that are in their mom's basements with statistics degrees <laughs> from an MIT or a Harvard that I just can't compete with. And I'm, I, I have an ego, but I'm also a realist. I know my limitations. Nobody's got the time for that, man. No, no, we got to watch OG we and daily podcasts to do. We can't be setting and DFS lineups. Absolutely not. Well, at least not to the level of those guys. But the beauty of prize picks is, again, you don't have to do that. It's just picking more than or less than a two to six player. Stat projections, prize picks also offer some really cool alternative options. You can play against some of their favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. How do you do that? You go to the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I, I would say the single coolest feature is they offer a reboot policy. So the worst feeling in fantasy sports, whether it's regular fantasy, whether it's daily fantasy is, is making the right pick and your player starting to go off and then he gets injured and you lose because of that. Trust me, I lost a fantasy championship this week. I know what that feels like. Not an issue with Prize picks, even if one of your players gets injured for a football or basketball game, if your player exits the game in the first half and does not return the second, that player is rebooted. Prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to so go to prizepicks.com slash lockdown NBA and use code lockdown NBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred bucks. Again, that is prizepicks.com slash lockdown NBA and use our code lockdown NBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred bucks. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made 
Easy. All right, Sean. Um, I promise this is not a gotcha moment. It's it's more so <laughs> embracing because I want to I want to keep things um congenial here. I want to keep things positive. Um, but I remember over the summer, and this is an this is on an effort to keep things uh, positive. You you said on OG Ananobi, he's the kind of player who you trade and then spend the next twenty years being like, I wish we had a player like that on our team. And then you also referenced the quote from Masai Ujiri: "If I could build." The whole team out of OGs, I would. And I say that in the sense that I would probably say the same thing about Emmanuel quickly. And that's that's where sure. this trade is a lot of fun. This is, <laughs> is it's two guys that you honestly just love, like if, if you're a fan of the team. And, and there's really like, I don't think you like the team if you're not in love with those guys. But for OG, um, unlike quickly, or I guess somewhat like quickly, but specifically, like what makes him so special is as a defender. And, and you've highlighted mm -hmm. it for us as, in, in the past, but I want you to go over it one more time because I, I think it, it's almost been lost in this conversation where we're doing podcasts and we're like, all right, what's the next move now? Like, oh my God, this is going to be so great for spacing. And oh yeah, he's like one of the best defenders on planet earth. What gets lost in that is is sort of the nuance of it, and and I think mm -hmm. I think you're the perfect person for that. What actually makes him so special on that end of the floor? What makes him capable of defending one through five? I know an, another another reference from the summer's pod. You, you you noted like he might be the best guy in the league at defending a Nikola Jokic, while at the same time you you can't throw him on an Anthony Edwards, and he can do an incredible job in that type of matchup. Yeah, I think peak OG is sort of the ideal of defensive versatility. That's kind of what I would say is sort of the thing about him that makes him such a great defender. He is just able to scale up or down the lineup, go up against basically any player archetype, and at least have a shot. Does he shut down Nikola Jokic? No, nobody does, but he's incredibly strong. You're going to come to realize this. Uh, he's so strong that refs don't really understand how players bounce off of him he gets called for like a lot of charges and stuff just because he's bloody strong and no one can like stand in front of him without falling over that's like one of the sort of drawbacks of having a guy like him i suppose but uh the benefits certainly outweigh the drawbacks he yeah like like i said on defense one night he can be your primary on Nikola Jokic. The next night he can be chasing Trey Young around and shutting him down to close a game. And, and you know, kind of coming up with like massive defensive plays while doing it, right? Blocks on threes, huge steals, completely locking down stars. That's kind of been his thing. There, there was just like a, a long run there, kind of, you know, even into the start of this season. It kind of, again, dissipated over the last month or so. But where, you know, he's up against a Luka Doncic or a Giannis Attentacumpo or whatever big wing creator for the other team and you feel pretty good about that guy not just destroying you that night right um you know some guys are going to go off that's what stars do but he always made them work extremely hard for it and i think that is the thing with og that's just so fun on the defensive end is you know there's a guy cooking you okay throw og on him it's probably going to stop the cooking right it's going to take that heat off a little bit and then maybe someone else starts cooking you oh no okay we can just flip og back over there like it's truly we don't see a whole lot of guys in the NBA who can actually tangibly guard one through five and do it capably. There are guys who can pass at it. There are centers who can switch onto a point guard for a possession or two. OG is legitimately a, a one through five defender. He's strong enough to bang with the big boys. He's quick enough and agile enough with his footwork to stick with smaller guys. It's a blast. And, and that is really, to me, the, the essence of OG Ananobi as a defensive player. Nobody outside of, like, I don't know, Draymond Green and, uh, like, Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe. Like, there's a very short list of guys 
who can do that up and down the lineup, sort of just switching roles based on the need of the team defensively. And it just gives you such a backbone for your defense, right? You can have breakdowns elsewhere. The Raptors certainly did, but you kind of know, okay, that dude, he's going to handle the guy who's hurting us the most. And that's a pretty nice thing to have on a basketball team. I think last night's game captured, and and I hate to refer to a human being this way, but like the genuine joy of like getting a new toy when you're a kid, and like <laughs> new I think guys that's rock. I, we love yeah. new guys. Yeah, I mean that that's what that's what everyone wants from a trade. But I think in in Knicks deals, but we've had moments like Tracy McGrady scored 26 points and like outdueled Kevin Durant in his first game as a Nick, and then it was, it was never that good again. Um, so we've had moments like that as Knicks fans, but and even like obviously getting Amari, getting Mello. Um, so it's happened before, but it was, I think it stood out so much because the Knicks were just repeatedly outclassed this year when they played, I mean, not only the best teams in the league, but really the biggest teams in the league. And and there was just this pit in your stomach saying, like, we could shoot about as well as we want. We could defend as hard as we want. We could be a scrappy. We could have as much heart. We could embody all the things that the Miami Heat put in the center of their court on, on special occasions. Um, and it just it ultimately isn't going to matter because we're just we're just a little too small, a, a little bit too non-physical. And like the guys who are big enough just don't quite have the focus, the strength, the tenacity, the skill defensively to put that all together. And then plop in OG Ananobi and all those issues are, are just magically gone. Um, mm-hmm. like like Dumbledore waved his wand and all of a sudden we were we were all saved. Um and, and just watching him switch between Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, it was it was a joy. It was, I can't, I can't phrase it any other way. Um, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned the, the quiet quitting because that's, that's really what I wanted to ask you about because the thing when, when I was going over just like the numbers with OG and like, I was expecting like, all right, like same, same as always, like elite, elite steals, elite blocks. Like my eyes kind of jumped out of my head when I saw he went from, um, in terms of block and steal percentage, um, near the top of the league in both last season, which for people who don't know, it is, it is extraordinarily rare for a player to be up there in, in both those capacities, 94th percentile block percentage, 95th percentile steal percentage. Um, and then this year he's a little bit above average in the fifties in both those categories. Is that as simple as like, he was just not super happy in Toronto and he didn't want to play with quite that maniacal effort anymore as, as maybe a means of motivating a trade. Um, because I, I didn't, I didn't think the athleticism was suddenly gone at 26, but what, what was going on there, Sean? Yeah, I think a couple things. One, yeah, I think the writing was kind of all the wall. And, you know, you kind of listen to the rumblings around the Raptors beat guys. And it does feel like internally this had been building towards a trade for some time. And that, you know, that's natural, right? That's just like natural human nature. You know, you're kind of on the way out and maybe you don't want to go too hard to risk getting injured. I don't know. Like, right. Like these things happen. I wouldn't expect that the sort of fall off in his just general like on ball effectiveness, for example, that was the thing that I really noticed was that just he wasn't locking dudes up the same. I, I don't think that's going to carry over. I don't think he just forgot how to do that. He was doing that at the start of this season. Right. So I do think there are just kind of natural human factors at play with some of the drop off. I do think, though, the Raptors scheme has not done him any favors. And when it comes to racking up the counting stats, we know Nick Nurse, he played maniac defense. He played, you know, sending two to the ball. We're hawking passing lanes. And OG was a big part of that, obviously. This year, they play a way more conservative style under Dar- Darko Ryakovich, almost too conservative, I think. It kind of leaves their guys on an island a little bit too much. Part of that scheme and the change to the conservatism, I think, is partly because they figured, hey, like we have a lot of defensive talent, OG at the front of that group. 
we can probably hold up in single coverage more than we have given ourselves credit for as a team under Nick Nurse in, in recent years. That has not proven out to be true because team defense is important. Help defense and rotations are very valuable and all that. Um, so I, I think just he's had less opportunity to go hawk those steals. Scotty Barnes has been working the back line a lot more often as a sort of you know low man type of guy. So he's been racking up that sort of block percentage that maybe OG was more sort of inclined to get in recent seasons as well. So I think it's a scheme thing. I think it's also the human nature thing. I would not really have any concerns about a massive drop off. He was, you know, an all defense guy last year, arguably could have been on the, uh, on the defensive player of the year ballot, right? Like the, the, the effect he has as a wing, no wing is ever going to affect the game as much as like a true rim protecting center, but OG is about as close as it gets in terms of impact. Um, so yeah, I, I don't expect that the drop off we saw over the last month, month and a half is going to carry over to his time with the Knicks. And it does seem as though fouls, notwithstanding like that pretty much held up true in the first game against the wolves there. I think what stood out maybe more than anything was was just his his ability to impact play at the rim mm. on both ends of the floor as a wing. Like he, I, I noted it earlier, but he had three dunks, and Alex and I were racking our brains for the last time. And Nick, other than Mitchell Robinson, had three dunks in a game. And this has maybe <laughs> maybe been a decade. Like we just haven't had that type of athleticism where R.J. Barrett could fly in transition, but in terms of in the half court cutting to the rim, catching, and then like from like two feet, just going up and like jamming on a, I always get my McDaniels confused, but I think Jaden McDaniels. Um, <laughs> Jaden, and yeah. Jalen yeah, is right. the one who's not very good who plays for the Raptors. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, you would know. I forgot I'm talking to an expert. Okay, great. Um, but anyways, um, that was, that was nice. And then, and then to your point is like, as a low man, like the Knicks immediately used him in that fashion. And he had like multiple times where he just like, he kind of apparated out of nowhere and, and, got a block at the rim or, or affected a shot at the rim. And that was tantalizing because I'm, I'm Julius Randall. You're lucky if he, if he takes a step when someone's driving, the same was right. true for RJ. And again, it just, it felt like a, a new world with OG on, on both ends at the rim. Yeah, I, that's that's the whole thing, right? Is he totally changes the context of your defense. He takes the burden off of your other wing defenders um, and your guards too, right? Like you can hide a guard. If you need OG to go handle a Donovan Mitchell or a Trey Young or whatever, you can hide Jalen Brunson and not have him, you know, have to run through the gauntlet of screens to keep in front of those guys as well. It does really change the context of your whole defense to have a dude who's that multiplicitous as a defender, you know, kind of working for your basketball team. It's pretty sweet. You know, the Raptors, I think... Is, they're going to miss him. And like I said, to your point, they sort of they're going to regret trading him for 20 years type of thing. He is that type of player, right? Those guys don't come around very often. I do think, again, though, the defense for OG Ananobi is more valuable to the Knicks than it is on the Raptors right now. Yeah. And the Raptors so badly need some kind of creation. Um, and I think both Baird and Quickly offer more sort of downhill attacking prowess than OG does. Back to the whole win-win thing. I, I think it just is a deal that makes sense for both teams right now. OG feels more valuable to a team like the Knicks right now than he is to the Raptors. And I could argue quickly and Barrett are more valuable to a team like the Raptors right now than they were to the Knicks. It's a, it's a sweet bit of serendipity for sure. Um, you know, I'm fascinated to see how OG's offense comes along. That's kind of the one thing it is, yeah. you know, in a bigger role. He's a kind of wanted one and not really seized the opportunity when it's been there from time to time. He's had big games. You know, we had a 36 burger against the Knicks last year at MSG. That was pretty cool. But 
he, you know, it's a little bit mechanical. It's a little bit robotic. There's not a ton of feel. It's a lot of just power and driving and strength, which is not a bad thing necessarily, but I do think it kind of hampers his playmaking. And I think he has to kind of settle for pull up mid rangers quite a bit because he can't quite turn the corner on guys all the time. Um, so we'll see how that comes along. But at the very least, you're getting a guy who's an awesome play finisher. You talk about the dunks. Get used to OG throwing down like reverse chin-up dunks just f- from cuts on the baseline. Yeah. He gets the ball fed to him. Reverse chin-up. It's just kind of his thing. That's like the the, the sort of signature OG Ananobi play. Um, and, you know, as an off-ball mover, again, as just like a knockdown three-point shooter, he's just a really nice player to have in your offense as a trigger man, as a guy who can finish off plays. Not necessarily create them, but maybe the Knicks don't need him to do all of that with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, obviously, so heavily on the ball. Yeah, I, I think I think what's exciting is is just the extra room and 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 to your point on his playmaking, just making those decisions easier with a wider margin for error and, and making closeouts on him that much more painful. Like if you're, if you're coming because Jalen Brunson sucked in the whole defense and 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 you don't just kind of get to build the shell like you have at, at times this year against the Raptors, um, like OG can get a quarter three, or if you're closing out like like erratically to like get all the way there, like he can blow by you like he did at the end of the first quarter and set up Josh Hart for an easy layup. And and I wonder if that also gives him more confidence and in turn amplifies other aspects of his game because right now the Knicks have Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, who are probably, I mean, two of the best, I don't know, 15 three-point shooters in basketball, whether that holds up with DiVincenzo. Um, that's kind of an open question, but right now it looks... Really, really good and really, really exciting for the New York Knicks. But I also think things are very exciting for the Toronto Raptors. And I am extraordinarily jealous and will be watching with bated breath to see the the full unleashing of Emmanuel quickly. Um, But before we do that, we got to unleash uh, fans' wallets. If they want to fill it up, one place they can do so is our buddies over at FanDuel. Sean, I'm going to let you talk about it. The NFL season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, Gavin, right now. New customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets guaranteed when you just place a $5 bet. You don't got to win that bet. You just got to place the bet, and you're going to get 150 bucks in bonus bets. I see no downside to this. Uh, if you're looking to get a little bit extra scratch to go throw around on FanDuel, it's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose, and the app is super easy to use. There's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. This is my favorite way. I don't often dabble in sports betting, but when I'm at a game, I love a same-game parlay. While I'm in the house, it kind of adds to the juice of being in there watching the game. If I can get myself to a Raptors game with Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett on the court this season, you can bet I'm going to have them involved in a live same-game parlay. I'm very excited about it, Gavin. You can also find bet to the new explore tab you can make a parlay in the parlay hub the best way to find popular parlays and of course you got your spreads your over-unders your player props etc etc so visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup fanduel official partner of the nfl and of the locked on podcast network all right sean floor is yours what what do you want to know about rj barrett and emmanuel quickly that you, you didn't find out in that thrilling opening win over the cleveland cavaliers yeah, um, this is there's a lot here, right? Like quickly, I feel like I I kind of know pretty intimately because I've been sort of watching from afar, just sort of longing for the last six months, hoping for the Raptors to land. I like him. The, little, I, the little hand motion you did. With that. That was really, guard yeah. who can dribble and Man, shoot. Please over here, please. In Canada, please use your passport. <laughs> yeah, I I think for me quickly is the guy I feel a little bit more sort of comfortable knowing what he's going to bring to the table. I still have. Some questions about him. I, I want to get into the playoff thing with you for sure. Yeah. Um, but let's start with RJ because RJ is someone who comes to Toronto and I feel like he's just going to be, 
you know, prone to being showered with praise. He's a Canadian. Everyone loves the guy. He had a really nice first game, five turnovers notwithstanding, but he did have uh, some pretty important buckets for the Raptors, hit a couple big free throws in their win over the Cavs. And like I said, he offers a bit of driving juice that I just don't think OG really had. I think there's a little bit more craft and a little bit more sort of power and intention to his drives than OG had. And I think that was a really nice thing for the Raptors to lean on in some possessions that kind of bogged down um, in the game against the Cavs. But obviously he's a polarizing guy, right? He's someone who is kind of constantly debated. Is he good or is he not good? Obviously we love to paint these things as black and white. I think there are good things about his game and I think there are not so good, good things about his game. But I guess my question to you is, can you describe the R.J. Barrett watching experience? What is it like to be a fan of a team that has R.J. Barrett heavily involved? Is it a positive thing in the net? Is it a negative thing? Does it make you feel like you have, uh, you know, like lead in your stomach uh, <laughs> watching them? Ouch. I'm fascinated because I think, you know, everyone's going in with a really open mind, right? I, I think he's going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt he's also 23 years old and is going to be in a different role in the raptors i'm actually pretty bullish on him kind of ironing out some of the warts of his game with the raptors in the coming years but uh just in general what's the experience like been being an rj barrett watcher on a nightly basis for the last four and a half years yeah it definitely reminds me of the uh, laurel and yanny thing or the blue dress gray dress memes um <laughs> because it really it, it he is the the epitome of a player that is in the eye of the beholder two sure. people who know uh maybe may, maybe not total experts because i think there'd be some nuance but let, let's just say two serious basketball fans could watch him and one could come away saying like man that dude he's, he's gonna be a five-time all-star and the other person could come away saying he he sucks like he's just he's just not, <laughs> he's not, he's not he shouldn't be an nba rotation player and i think i i almost as someone who um considers himself to know quite a bit and has watched almost every game of his career um I'm kind of in the middle on those two things still to, to some extent, maybe leaning a little bit more towards the negative. I will say, I, I think the change of scenery is a fantastic thing for mm -hmm. him. And I think I became very, very frustrated this season, which he got off to just an exceptional start. Um, he was shooting over the first 12 games or so about 50% from three. It felt like a million percent from three. He wasn't missing. Um, and, and coming off a great summer team, Canada, um, coming off a really exciting playoff run for the Knicks. Like you could kind of talk yourself into the decision making being better and like being a little bit more proactive as a passer. The defense was certainly better than last year where it was weirdly terrible and it, it was a regression. Um, and then he, he had this weird four game stretch or so where he was repeatedly out with quote unquote migraines, but he was in the arena, wasn't wearing sunglasses or anything. Some of us thought it might've been a knee issue because he had that a little earlier in the season or coming into the season. Um, and then from that point on, he, he hasn't really made a shot. Um, a, a couple of, a couple of games where it looked like the bounce back was coming and it's just been in fits and spurts. And to me, that is the the definition of the RJ Barrett experience, fits and spurts. Every time you, you think he, he's on track and he's figured it out and he's going to be great, he has just a horrific stretch. Every time he usually to open the season, he's terrible um, he, and, and you're ready to totally give up on him. He gets it together and he has a really good game or two. So I would describe the RJ experience as ultimately frustrating with the caveat that I thought the Knicks were just about the worst possible context for him. And, right. and as much as the Knicks needed a break from RJ Barrett, RJ Barrett needed a break from the Knicks. This, this, this was a healthy breakup, Sean. 
What do you think of his playmaking? Um, you know, I, I think obviously that's been sort of the limiting factor. Obviously, you know, his shooting talent has not been sort of at the level you maybe want for a third overall pick either. I think the stat is that outside of from three point range in 2020, 2021, he's been below average from every area of the floor in every season of his career so far. Um, you know, that's a thing to be mindful of if you're a Raptors fan going in with, you know, extreme optimism here. The, the shooting has not been there, but the playmaking to me, you know, he's a guy who gets downhill a lot, right? He is just like a machine getting to the rim, finishing at the rim. That's another story, but he gets there and it feels like on a team where he's going to be surrounded with Emmanuel quickly and Scotty Barnes, who's all of a sudden like a 38% high volume three-point shooter. It's pretty rad. It feels like there are some opportunities here for Barrett to kind of craft and hone his playmaking playing with guys who might be able to offer some space and, and sort of second side attacking and stuff like that to kind of keep defenses honest when it comes to guarding Barrett on those drives. I, I don't know. Where are you at with the playmaking side of things? He had a couple flourishes last night. He also had a couple moments where it was just like, ooh, that's like a very easy missed pass to the wing or um, sort of a tough pass through traffic type of thing. Feels like you're already nodding your head with, yep, that sounds about right. But um, <laughs> well, where, where are you at with the playmaking? Do you think that's something that can come along? Because I do feel like that, along with like his three-point shooting, which has had its moments here and there, it does feel like the playmaking is one of those limiting factors on his upside. Where, where are you at with that? Do you have any belief that in a new context with a different role, not playing next to Brunson and Randall, that there is something there? Or do you think he could run into similar problems with the playmaking that he's had uh, with the Raptors? Yeah, so the, the biggest concern I think could be summed up in one number. His assist rate is currently lower than his rookie season, and that's not a fluke. Yeah. It's been it's been a roller coaster. It went from 12.6 to 13.4 to 14.6. So you're like, upward trajectory. This is great. That was the, the 14.6 was 81st percentile in the entire NBA for a wing, and then it went down mm -hmm. to 12.4, and now down to 12.3, which, which I should note is still uh, 72nd percentile for wings in the NBA. So he's not by any means like, black hole like I don't think that would be a fair assessment but I also do think that number is disproportionately influenced by just the number of possessions that he soaks up and the fact that he does get a lot of time on the ball because I I don't think he's a great passer I think what he's good at is is being like when, when he is conscientiously trying to create he's pretty decent at it like in the pick mm -hmm. and roll like I think his pick and roll craft has gotten a lot better this season and that wasn't totally unlocked with Mitchell Robinson though I will say RJ was sort of the one guy in the Knicks his whole career who didn't appear to irrationally hate one of the most likable guys in the NBA because <laughs> RJ would actually throw him the ball and throw him lobs and he was the one person willing to do that but Isaiah Hartenstein at center unlocked a lot more for RJ and you see him he is just savvy at times mm -hmm. in the pick and roll, like the ability to like to recognize that he is a defender on his hip and to to hold him up, right? And 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 kind of bait him and and slow things up so his center can get to the proper position where he can get in the basketball, or if two guys on him and throw a little pump fake and then slip a no look between two of them. Like we've seen that over and over and over again as someone who I think maybe is is prone to overemphasizing his playmaking flashes. Like that has been super tantalizing to me. It's been a joy. He's at different times, like flash the ability to get into the lane and just like whip these, these cross court bullets to the opposite corner that I would say is sort of the gold standard, sort of the caviar of big wing playmaking, right? That's the stuff that Luka Doncic and LeBron James do, do 10 times on a nightly sure. basis to create one of the most valuable shots in basketball and an open three ironically would have paired great with OG Ananobi if he was still <laughs> here um, or if OG was still there. Um, so all of that is great. The issue is like, he 
I, I said before he wasn't a black hole. Sometimes, sometimes he's a little bit of a black hole where sure. he he just he's just very locked in on getting his own shot. And I think it's a lack of awareness at times. Like he will have a semi-open three and Dante DiVincenzo, who maybe monstered him in, in his sleep. That might've been the source of the migraine and has been <laughs> shooting about 70% from three over the last month and a half will be wide open. Totally normal. Corner. And yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Normal stuff that happens in New York. Um, yeah. Welcome <laughs> to America uh, for all our Toronto listeners. Um, but um, like, he'll just, he'll just like look a guy off. Who's like a, a better shooter and more open at times. And that frustrates you. And I don't think RJ is selfish. I think RJ is one of the most confident human beings on planet Earth. Sure. And that that sometimes works to his benefit and, and sometimes to his detriment. I'm also encouraged. It does sound as though he's kind of one of these like gym rat dudes who is just like constantly working. And that, you know, the Raptors have had yeah. success with that type of dude. Pascal Siakam, DeMar DeRozan, I think both mm-hmm. kind of fall under that milieu. And, and, and Sean, that, that quickly too. That's both. Yeah. To like the end hey. degree. And that, that's what makes it painful to lose them. So let's wrap it on quickly then. Uh, again, the guy who I was just like thrilled that was coming the Raptors way, the type of player the Raptors desperately need, like a jitterbug guard with some frenetic energy, you can play on or off the ball, work I think in tandem with Scotty Barnes really well. It was a little bit clunky in their first game, but you expect that, right? They were playing their first game together. Um, I do think like Barnes quickly pick and roll, whether it's Barnes uh, with the ball in his hand, and quickly screening or the inverse is going to be a thing the Raptors lean on for hopefully many, many years to come. I don't really have any concerns about the way quickly impacts this team in the regular season. Obviously the playoffs last year, not so hot. And you know, he's, you know, that's, it's tough, right? Guys will have bad, a, a bad playoff series and you get kind of branded as a bad playoff player. And I think that's unfair, especially when that player is like 23 years old, when that bad playoff series happens, um, was there anything particularly red flaggish about Quickly's playoff struggles? Um, or do you think that's the type of thing that with time, with age, you know, will just kind of get better as he physically matures a little bit more, obviously, too? He's kind of a slight guy. Maybe that plays into it. Um, but I'll, obviously, I, I think like his pull up shooting talent, that feels like a thing that absolutely plays in the playoffs. And it's weird that it didn't in his struggles uh, in recent past. But where, where are you at with quickly at the playoff thing? Is it a one off thing or do you think there's a, 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 a concern of him maybe being the type of guy who doesn't quite have the juice in the postseason down the line? Yeah, I would rate uh, out of 10, maybe like my concern level, like a three out of 10, four out of 10, like 10 being the most concerned, one being the sure. least concerned, probably probably closer to a three because cool. like, I think, I think his rookie season, you can, you can wipe off, right? Like that sure. uh, mo- most rookies, even, even ones higher regarded than Emmanuel quickly struggle in the playoffs. If they're asked to play any type of significant role. And he was, he's given a very niche role in that series against the Hawk. Then last year it was only five or six games. Was any hurt? I, if, I think it was his ankle feels like years ago now. Um, and, and, and he wasn't, he wasn't able to get back in time. So that was, that was just a small sample size. And what it reminded me of is, and, and why I think he's going to have so much success in Toronto is he's very much a rhythm player. And I think it's sure. a testament to him that he should have, should have absolutely should have been sixth man of the year in the NBA last year, despite the fact that he is very much a rhythm based player. And it's sometimes very tricky for him to start seasons on a high. And we saw that last year. We saw that this year. We saw it his second year, honestly. Like his rookie year was the one time where he started off and he was kind of volcanic. And even that's probably some revisionist history on my part. It probably did take like 15 or 20 games for him to really get going. 
his rookie season. And I, I think the fact that in Toronto, he's going to have that, that ultra long leash, right. Is like probably going to be playing 35 minutes night in and night out because there is such a need for him. I, I think it is totally going to transform his game. He was a monster last year as a starter, averaging something like, I'm sure you, I'm sure you read out the stats, Sean, but it was like 23, five and five in 21 games as a starter on I'm super like efficiency plus percent true shooting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 44 from the field, 38 from three. Like I have these numbers seared into my brain because I, I was reciting them like a lunatic <laughs> um, <laughs> over the summer, trying to make the argument for him for him to start for the Knicks. Um, but I say all that to say, like at the beginning of last season, he came out and it just looked like not that he forgot how to play basketball, but all that swagger was just sort of gone. And mm-hmm. then I thought the same thing was there in the playoffs. And to me, that totally makes sense. Because it is a little bit of a different type of sport and there are different rules and you are guarded differently. And and the things you do best are taken away with a level of aggression that frankly just never happens in the regular season if you're not a star player. And he had to adjust to that. And because the way Tom Thibodeau used him and... I was arguing at the time, like he should just be out there for 35 minutes a game because the Knicks were blowing the doors off the Cavs in his minutes, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he couldn't hit a shot. And that to me is kind of the ultimate ringing endorsement of Emmanuel quickly that even when he's not scoring, what he does defensively, what he does as a playmaker, what he does as a spacer um, still dictates the action in such a way that it's extremely beneficial to your team. Um, that being said, I think he's going to make shots and make it a non-issue in future playoffs because he's going to have that rhythm. Brother, you're really uh, vindicating me uh, being extremely thrilled about Emmanuel quickly being on the Toronto Raptors. It's uh, it's a lifelong dream come true if lifelong <laughs> means the last six months. But uh, that feels like a good place to leave it, no? Yeah, that's a. I mean, I think can we can we just throw out there like we're like I I, I can't like I think it's become very clear on this podcast. We are both just incredibly excited about OG and IQ. And I will say this, like as someone like, I, I hope I don't think I was too negative on RJ in this pod, but as someone who's been quite negative on him, like, like I think this last week is probably the most negative I've been on RJ. <laughs> like you're getting like a, a, a like all capital letter dude in RJ yeah. Barrett. Like the guy is a killer. He's incredibly confident. Um, I'm, I'm, I cannot like. I don't think I've ever rooted more for for two Knicks like going to another team. Like I'm, I'm so excited for both of them. And and I know there's been there's been some animosity certainly in our comments section <laughs> between Knicks and Raptors uh, fans. There there is currently an ongoing lawsuit between the two teams, which makes this trade even that's just rich even, rich people problems. It doesn't exist yeah, right me whatsoever. Yeah. It's fine. It's not for whatever. The, yeah, <laughs> not for the peons like Leon Rose and Masai Ujiri to worry about. Um, <laughs> but um, I say that to say like like I hope I think Raptors fans probably wish the same for OG and and I oh, I wish the best to to those two guys. Um, so I think I think Sean, unless you have anything else, that's as, as good of a note as any to to wrap this up. No, man, I'll just say I, the Knicks are easily the Atlantic division team. I have the least animus towards like the Sixers screw them. Can't stand them. They got Nick nurse. Now can't have that be a success. No way. Uh, the Celtics obviously screw the Celtics. The Nets even really irritate me just as like this yeah, little boy who thinks there's yeah. something real, but they're the Nets. Let's get real. I've, I love these Knicks teams. Like I am such a Jalen Brunson head. I've said it on my show. I think Brunson is the closest thing in the NBA to prime Kyle Lowry that exists right now. And so I'm very much inclined to watch Knicks games, even more so now that Ananobi is on them. Uh, Yeah, this is, again, win-win. I get to watch the team. I like to watch it in any way with a guy I like a lot. It's uh, it's good vibes all around with this deal. I'm I'm having a great time. (laughs) 
All right. That's a, that's a fantastic way to wrap this up. Everyone uh, can check out Sean Woodley uh, wherever you find podcasts, um, wherever you find YouTube. Uh, there's only one place. It's YouTube.com. Uh, you can check out Locked on Raptors. You can check out Locked on Knicks. Please, please, please leave five-star reviews for both shows. It really helps spread the word and uh, ensure more people can can hear us uh, borderline in, in a, in a pastor-style way uh, preach the, the the heavenly greatness of Emmanuel Kukin, OG, and OG. But until next time, he's Sean. I'm Gavin. We will talk to you very, very soon on Locked on Knicks and Locked on Raptors.